We're going to turn to Hebrews. And so I had, I had another direction I wanted to go, but then I think the Lord kind of nudged me and, and kind of shifted me towards this, considering our men's fellowship and some other things that were going on. So I'd like for you, if you would, to take, take your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. Not all the verses will be on the screen. Uh, sometimes it's just good to open the hymn book and the Bible, right? <laughs> the old-fashioned way. And so not all the verses will be on the screen as the message progresses, but all the verses from Hebrews will. We're going to land as our platform be in verse 25, but I'd love to like go verse by verse through Hebrews as we work our way down to verse 25. So if you'll look with me in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, you know, if something casts a shadow, the shadow's not the substance. The thing that's casting the shadow is. And, you know, it's like, why settle for the shadow when you could have the substance? It was the picture, but it was pointing to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the law is good. There's nothing wrong with it. But it was just a shadow. And it wasn't the very image of the things. And can never, with those sacrifices, all of those animal sacrifices that were pointing to, obviously, Jesus, the Lamb of God, which came to take away the sin of the world, but those animal sacrifices that were offered year by year continually could never make the comers thereunto perfect. Right with God, you might say. It temporarily covered their sin, but it didn't remove the sin. The sin was just like another IOU, an IOU, an IOU. More blood, more payment, more blood, more payment, more blood, more payment, until Jesus came and paid it in full, which I love that hymn that you sing, the first one today. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He paid it all. For then would they have not ceased to have been offered. In other words, if it was good enough, they could have just did it and been done with it. Because that the worshipers once purged. Get that phrase, especially connected to our Sunday school, as we're going through the ABCs of the Christian faith, and we're on the letter F for forgiveness. But look at that. The people, if the animal sacrifice in the Old Covenant was sufficient to take away your sins, they would have once been purged. When were you once purged? Well, when you received the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And the blood of Jesus uh, uh, pays for all of our sins. But then it says they should have no more conscience of sins that would have been done, it would have been settled. And it's almost like modern-day Christians act more Jewish than they do. They act more Old Covenant in their relationship with God than New Covenant. Because what this is saying is like, hey, Old Covenant thinking is your sins are not taken care of. You always have a remembrance of it, and you're always conscious of it. Does that sound familiar? It sounds more like a New Testament Christian. I'm always conscious. I'm always sensitive. I'm always trying to get them covered. I'm always trying to get them dealt with. But he's saying... The once and for all, final for all, sacrifice for all has been accomplished, and he's leading up to that. And the book of Hebrews, incidentally, just by way of background, is written to Hebrews. In other words, they were Jews that became Christians. That's the title of the book. The theme of the book of Hebrews is Christ is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the temple. He's better than angels. He's better than creation. And he's better than the old covenant sacrificial system. In fact, in chapter 7 and in chapter 8, he says that he's provided a better sacrifice. 
And he uses that often, the word better, oftentimes. In verse 4, but it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Oh, wait, I, ver- I forgot verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again of made of sins every year. Sin conscience, sin centered. But it's not even possible that the animals could take care of it. So what they're trying to get, we have, but we don't know that we have it. A lot of times. That's why we're dealing with this in Sunday school uh, at a deeper level. Verse 5, wherefore when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you would not, you would, would it's not, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, this is Jesus, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me. All the law and the prophets were speaking about Jesus. To do your will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you would not. He's saying the same thing again in a different way. Neither had pleasure therein. Why? Because you were covered, you were, you were temporarily forgiven, but you weren't permanently filled. Remember, the cross is a final act of God, the finished work of Jesus. You were forgiven to be filled. You weren't just forgiven to be forgiven and to keep getting re-forgiven and re-forgiven and re-forgiven, like an Old Testament system. You were once and for all forgiven so you could be forever filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the life of Christ. So he didn't have pleasure in that. Why? Because not that it wasn't... um, It just didn't take care of the root of the problem, which was sin separated us between us and God. And he didn't want that separation. He wanted union. He wanted fellowship. He wanted relationship. Verse 9, next slide. Then said he, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. What do you think the first is? First covenant, old covenant. He he didn't... Think not that he came to destroy the light, came to fulfill it, but he came to, he said, I'm giving you a new covenant. And in this new covenant comes a new heart and a new set of laws, which is to love God and love your neighbor. On that hangs all the law and the prophets. So he says, by the which will we are sanctified, look at the tense, through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. Do you believe that? And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. That must have been so defeating. Of course they had like a Brazilian barbecue. It was always on green. <laughs> you know, have you ever been to a Brazilian barbecue? Like they, Anyways, maybe I'm thinking about lunch. But the priests, um, they always had like a barbecue. Because they were always killing animals, and they, the priests were the ones that were allowed to barbecue. That They always had lamb, right? And beef, no pork. Um, but they always, it was like job security, food security for them. Because this sacrificial system didn't take care of sin once and for all. But this man, verse 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, do you believe that? He sat down on the right hand of God. What's the significance of that? In the temple, there were no seats, no windows, incidentally. The lamp was the light, which is also a picture of the person of Jesus, who is the light. All of it was a picture of the person. 
but there weren't any seats. There was the mercy seat, but that was a no-no. You just put the blood on that. But Jesus sat down indicating the work for eternal forgiveness and redemption is finished. Let me just put it to you this way. So when God rested on the seventh day from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when he was done with creation, did that mean when God entered into the rest, or the seventh day he rested, did that mean God stopped working? No, he's still doing work in your heart. He's still doing work all over. He just stopped the work of creation. When Jesus sat down, does that mean that he's done working? Like, I'm done. No, it just means that he's done with the sacrifice for sin. Final, done, complete, finished. That's what that signifies. So he's emphasizing this by saying that he sat down, unlike the other priests. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness for us, for that after he said before, this is the covenant, the New Testament covenant, synonymous, by the way, that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. What laws do you think he's writing? You shall not have pulled pork barbecue when you go to Austin, Texas. Thou shalt not go to the crab shack because it's shellfish. Thou shalt not wear polyester blend shirts with cotton. You know that's a law, right? You can't mix your fabrics. Thou shalt not make your rooftop with a peak. It needs to be uh, flat. There's 613 laws, right? We pick the ones we like. We avoid the ones we don't like. Um, and we, we kind of don't know as Gentiles which ones are which. But he's not writing those laws in our hearts. What he's writing is love God and love your neighbor. Because if I love God, am I going to forsake church and forsake like the Bible? And No. If I love my neighbor, am I going to lie to them and kill them and cheat them? You're actually fulfilling the law when you keep the two that you put in your heart. Love God, love others. It's the absolute fulfilling of it. But we want to complicate it like... like the government, <laughs> when they write laws, it just doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus came and he's like, okay, that was the law of Moses that we gave to him. I'm giving you two. It's my new command, my new covenant. Love God, love others. And he even adds a caveat, as I've loved you. So for by one offering, verse 14, Jesus has perfected forever them that are sanctified. We don't believe that. That is a tough verse, but it's true. You are who God says that you are, not how your feelings feel that you are, or how the world says that you are, or, or traditional Christianity. You are who God says that you are. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit synonymous, is also a witness to us, for after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission, forgiveness, payment of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Because in chapter 9 of Hebrews, he said, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. How much more blood does Jesus need to shed in order to provide a full, final, forever forgiveness? Like, when's the cross going to be good enough? He says there's no more needed for sin. So working our way down, verse 19, next slide. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, 
I wrote down this quote just because I thought about it when I was in my office. Because you know when you do communion, you're like, here, the bread is the body and the blood is the, um, the juice. I put down the blood is the payment and the body is the passage. Um, look at verse 20. By a new and living way, he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, his body. So the, the bread is mysterious when you think about the, um, when we take communion. But if you think about it, God provided himself a body. He filled that body with blood. But in that body, he performed all the things that we couldn't do. He fulfilled the law. He lived out the Lord's will perfectly for us. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. And he was made to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But he made a way for us that's not on a certain day through a certain tribe in a certain geographical location by a certain manner. He's like, now he's an equal opportunity savior in an equal access God, ripping the veil from the top to the bottom, giving whosoever will an opportunity to be seated and have fellowship with God for all eternity. And what religion wants to do is start to sew that veil back up and say, well, no, it's not until you do this or that, or you got to do this. And he's like, no, Jesus says there's only one mediator between God and man. It's the Jesus. And he gave us a way to be seated and to be consecrated, and we have access by his uh, body. So it's like the passage is his body. He made it possible, but the blood is the payment. He paid for us to have that. You ever have a lanyard? Do you ever go to an event? And you got, I remember I had a VIP one time. It was for the guys of Rush, you know, and I had got backstage with Rush. And I'm like, huh, hey guys. I didn't know, and I met the guitar player, and I didn't know what to say. I just lost my words, Keith. I lost my words. But I had a VIP, and I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, VIP, uh-huh. And <laughs> um, it was a bass player in the church. So he, his wife was always doing the call-ins. You know, if you're the 10th caller, she got the, she got the 10th call won the tickets, and so we got to go to the backstage. But even more than backstage with the band Rush is you got access to God through Jesus. Verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God, which Jesus wasn't even from the tribe of Levi, which means that he, he, he has executive and legislative powers, by the way, and judicial powers to just rewrite the law. Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. Remember in verse 4 of this chapter, he says that you would have no more conscience of sin because Jesus has finally taken care of it, but a lot of us are just maybe, I don't know, we're still there. Verse 23, let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So when you go to promise keepers, it's not your promise to God. He is the promise keeper. Amen. <laughs> He's the promise keeper. He promised, I will remember your sins no more. I'll give you the free gift of eternal life. I, will, he, I began a good work. I'll be faithful to complete it. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Consider one another. This is a phrase you'll see in the Bible often. See, if we're still getting our sins dealt with and stuff like that, we're not able to one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burden. You know, forgive one another. There's a lot of one anothering in the Bible, but if we're still... Inward, like, I don't know. Does he love me? Does he love my forgiveness? We're still pulling flower petals off to God, wondering from one day to the next where we stand. 
You're not going to be outward, you're going to be inward. But he says, after he's taught on this like, finality of forgiveness to the Jews who understand this, uh, in the context of the Old Covenant, New Covenant, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And here's the verse. And I'm, I took a lot of time on this, but I want you to get it in context. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, Right, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, the church, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. There's another one anothering. And so much, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you think Jesus is closer today to coming back than he was last year? <laughs> so, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And I know I'm speaking to those of you that are here. You're here, you're here. You're like, I'm not forsaking, I understand. But so much more. I was talking to Adam, he's like, Dad, what are you preaching on today? I'm like, well, it's this verse. And I, I know, you know people have used this in the past to guilt people into coming to church and stuff like that. But if you think about it, if you really believe Jesus Christ came the first time, which you do, and you really believe that he could come at any moment. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know. There's wars and rumors of wars. And, you know, like in your area of the world, it's probably more of a reality than over here. And then you hear famines and pestilence. And, you know, you can kind of see things shaping up. And you're like, I don't know. And Jesus likens it unto a woman that's about to give birth. And it's like, what trimester are we in? I don't know. It seems like, you know, the, the convergence of technologies is, it's, as it's gone exponentially uh, it's like, what is, when's God going to pull the plug? You know, I just don't know when that day or hour is, but it seems like I see the day approaching. So if you also think like, I see the day approaching where it's kind of like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, kind of like the days of Noah, buying and selling, giving and marriage, and people don't care about God. They're saying, where are the promise of his coming? Uh, things have continued since the creation of the world. But you see the day approaching kind of, you're like in your heart, you're like, I don't know. I don't know when, but it seems like Jesus could come back in any moment. This is the time to lean into church so not to lean away from church. This is the time to say, okay, let's stop playing games about church. Let's stop being like all formal and like, you know, ritualistic. This is the time to really start telling people about Jesus and to not be so guilty to invite them to church. Don't you feel like you are kind of been... So Elon Musk bought Twitter, and so like, oh, yay, the savior for the freedom of speech. You know what? We have had the freedom of speech anyways as Christians. We just don't use it. You could tell your neighbors. You could tell your family. You know, hey, uh, what about Jesus? What about, coming to, what about coming to a fellowship? Don't you feel, at least me, I feel kind of like I've been handcuffed for a long time, like verbally handcuffed, like don't say that. You're going to offend someone, and especially in California, you know, where everyone's, not Orange County so much, but, um, you know, like we're, like we're timid maybe. But if you see the day approaching, now's the time to get bolder, not, not less bold. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the antithesis of bold. Passive. Well, meek is a good thing, so. Um. Check this verse out. In Hebrews 10, verse, uh, I don't know how many verses down, but it's in the same chapter. For yet a little while, and he who shall come will come and will not delay. Ooh. That's kind of a flyover verse, right? Like, where is that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37? So, 
I am not going to finish this message, but we'll do our best to kind of edit on the fly. Go to the next slide. Point number one. We're not going to do it. Don't worry. I'll, I'm, I'm good at editing on the fly. Not forsaking. The assembling of ourselves together is the man under son. What does it mean to forsake? Look at the definition here. In the Greek, it kind of means to leave behind in some place. There's a good way to do it, and then there's a bad way to do it. There's it's some good things to leave behind, right? You should forsake, like he says in Ephesians 4, put off the old man with all of its deeds, the lying, the bitterness, unforgiveness, the gossip. Put that stuff off. Um, but if you put good things off, like fellowship and going to church, and um, that's not good. That, that's not good for you. Like, Going to church is not our gift to God. It's God's gift to us, right? <laughs> Look, music is, uh, like, that's God's gift to us. It's not like we're, like, blessing God. All this stuff, prayer, Bible, fellowship, our men's thing, the ladies' thing, Awanas, these are gifts for us, right? They're, they're not like, we're getting, we're getting here. are you impressed, God? They're for us. And so to forsake it in a bad sense is to rob yourself and others, by the way, because you have every one of us in here because we're all equal at the foot of the cross. You've all been gifted by the Holy Spirit, if you're saved and born again, to have gifts. And those gifts are not for personal edification. It's for, like, corporate edification. You have been gifted. So it's like a catch and releasing. You've been given so you could give it out, Right? And so, and, and many of you do. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to guilt anyone, but if this is kind of your thinking, things that make you go, huh? Um, then think about that. What's my gift? How could I, how could I use it? How could I, how could I share this? Especially if you see the day approaching. Especially if you see the day approaching. Go to the next slide. I've read this poem before, but I think it's appropriate. The perfect church. I think that I shall never see a church that all it ought to be, a church that never has no empty pews, amen, a, uh, whose pastor never has the blues. I play the blues on guitar, by the way. A church whose deacons always deke. That's not a word, but it rhymes. And none is proud, but all are meek. Where gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize. Where all are always sweet and kind and all to others' faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me, but still will work and pray and plan to make our church the best we can. Amen? I like that last line. But still will work and pray and plan to make our church the best we can. I know that's kind of hard to see, but maybe you heard it. Go to the next slide. So that's my wife, and this is my cousin's dog. We're watching her for the next couple weeks. But I want to illustrate this point. You say you like me. We're BFFs. We're pals. We're buds. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're good. You love me and do anything for me. Give me the shirt off your back. Let me borrow your whatever. But you don't like my wife or the cutest dog in America, which is the worst behaved dog in America pees everywhere, it barks all the time, and it's racist. The dog is racist. It barks at certain people groups on the TV and horses. It hates horses if it shows up on... 
and it's small and just, but because it's so stinking cute, it gets away with all of the above. But my point is this, you can't stand to be around my wife or her or this cute dog. I don't know if we're really friends because it's kind of a twofer. If you love and accept me, it's kind of like you have to love and accept my wife. And you're like, that's really difficult, Neil. I know your wife. I'm kidding. <laughs> but isn't that like saying, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. And isn't that kind of what people are saying these days and have been saying? Yeah, I like Christ, but not Christianity and Christians. Isn't that kind of what people have been saying, in America at least, right? Isn't that kind of it? Like, yeah, Neil, I like you, but I don't like your wife. Yeah, I like Jesus, I just don't like his bride, the church. And I don't want to be the reason. Have we given people good reason? Go to the next slide. But the fruit, go to the next slide after this, actually. Fruit of the Spirit's faithfulness. Yeah, there you go. So I understand why some people do not come to church. They like Jesus. They just don't like his followers. Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. <clears throat> but look at uh, Gandhi. I like, <laughs> I'm not going to do his accent. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This next slide is really telling. Look at this next one. If it had not been for Christians that I have known, I might have been a Christian. And where would India be if Gandhi received Christ? Who knows? I haven't been to India in a while, but when we go and minister there, uh, it's very interesting. And I, I often wonder about this quote. Not been for the Christians that I... So what I'm saying is, like, we don't want to be the ones to where people are saying, yeah, I like Jesus, I just don't like his stinking followers. Look, I've been, I've been an obnoxious Christian for most of my career. Probably still am, and I don't know it. I'm getting more and more aware. But <laughs> there was times where like, I could look back and be like, uh, I get it. Like, I'm scared. I don't come from a Christian family. So every Easter, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, I'm preaching the gospel to all. And they're just like, they're drinking their spiked eggnog. I'm like, what in the world happened to this kid? You know? <laughs> like, okay. But then all the funerals, the weddings, and the, you know that, they're like, well, maybe this wasn't so fashionable or trendy for Neil. Maybe this thing 20, 30 years later. But I, I, I admit, I've been off-putting, and I've had to repair those relationships. And so I'm praying, Lord, how, what type of Christian do you want me to be? Like Lilani was sharing with me, maybe we should, on our prayer walk tonight, Pray for ourselves also that God would give us a heart for the people in such a way that would come out with the fruit of the Spirit in a loving, gracious, meek, humble, patient, long-suffering, and in a faithful way. And so, um, next part. So he says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting, what does that mean? It means to call near, that is to invite, to invoke, to beseech, to call for, comfort, desire, entreat, to pray. You now there's people that, in this neighborhood that used to come to this church and don't anymore. Maybe we need to pray for them, exhort them. Maybe it starts with 
the nonverbal where we're just praying to God and maybe God would give us the boldness to maybe make that phone call or that text or that email to make it more of a connection. Um, not that God can't connect by his Holy Spirit, but you know what I mean, in a relational way. So I was going to turn to these verses in Thessalonians, but I'm just going to edit these out. In summary, if you want to write this down, next slide if you would, in the next slide. Next slide. Um, so in Thessalonians, based off this idea of encourage, so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's the rapture chapter. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever, or so, and so shall we ever meet the Lord or be with the Lord in the air. And he says, and so comfort you one another with these words. The comfort is, the world has no hope, but Christians have hope, and we will be with Jesus. And those believers that have died as Christians, the, the King James uses the word sleep, those that have slept in Christ, but those that have died to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and to meet the Lord in the air, and all the other believers, and so shall we always and forever be with the Lord. And he says, wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. I'm connecting Thessalonians because he says, Hey, don't forsake the assemblings of yourselves together, as is the manner of some people that do do that. You obviously aren't doing that. But he says, exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So if you see the day of like the imminent return of Christ could happen at any moment, we'll encourage one another with these words. So much more as you see the day approaching. The next slide, kind of the same idea, um, but chapter 5. And again, I'm just going to edit this for the sake of time. We won't go through these verses, but just remember 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and you connect them together. He gets done after he's saying, we've not appointed under wrath, in verse 9, but to obtain salvation by our Lord. So, uh, but he says, when they're saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. But not you, Christian, not you, because you're not of the night, you're of the day. And he's saying all that in chapter 5, and I'm paraphrasing. But at the end of that thought, he says, again, like he says at the end of the rapture thought, encourage, exhort one another um, <clears throat> to help one another to grow stronger in the faith, just as you are already doing. So in our Hebrews passage, verse 25, don't forsake the assembling. Don't, don't, there's th certain things you should forsake, but church isn't one of those, especially if you see the day approaching where Jesus is getting closer to his return. That's when you should lean into church, not lean away from it. And doing so, encourage one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So as much more as you see the day approaching. Lessons from the fig tree. Lessons from the fig tree. So Jesus, he, you know, he often used like earthly examples to illustrate heavenly truths, which is what parables pretty much are. We can learn a lesson from the fig tree. Um, when you're in Israel, in fact, it's very common to eat figs uh, as a part of like breakfast, lunch, and dinner situation. At least it was when I was there. Um, but I've never really seen a fig tree. I'm not familiar with them. Are there fig trees native around here? Yeah, we have fig trees, huh? It's a very similar climate here in, the, in Israel. 
But he says this, um, the fig tree teaches us a lesson. When its branches become green and soft and new leaves begin to grow, then, then you know that the summer is very near. In the same way, when you see all these things happening, you will know that the time is very near, already present. A lesson from the fig tree. Don't forsake church. Don't forsake the fellowship. might be tempting. Um, and not just this church. I'm not using this as like, this is the only true church, so you don't forsake this. That would be a cult manipulative tactic, right? And I've heard this verse kind of used in the manipulative way. In general, like if this isn't a church for you, then find a, find a group of believers where you could connect with and fellowship with especially as you see the day approaching. That's important, right? To be connected to the body and to the bride. And you need it, and they need you, by the way. Um, But know that, man, this could be sooner than we think. Chuck Smith, pastor at Calvary uh, Chapel, said this. Go to the next slide. When you see people start decorating for Christmas, just know that Thanksgiving is just around the corner. What an appropriate quote at an appropriate <laughs> the time of season we're at. When you see people start decorating for Christmas, just know that Thanksgiving is just around the corner. So when you see wars and rumors of wars, famines and the fig tree and the, the, the term of birth that Jesus illustrates as well, and that's like the decorating for Christmas, just know that Thanksgiving or the return of Christ, the imminent return of him taking his bride is could happen at any moment, closer than we think. That's why he says, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Um, This next passage in Daniel, I was going to riff on the Antichrist, but I'm not going to, but just know, through peace in verse chapter 8, the Antichrist deceives people through peace, and then in verse chapter 9, he uses this seven-year peace treaty to deceive the world, and in the middle of it, uh, it's called the abomination of desolation by Jesus in Matthew 24. He breaks this peace treaty, and then it's kind of like Scooby-Doo. He pulls the mask off, and you're like, what, you're the Antichrist? And, um, of course, we won't be here, uh, but those that are left behind will. Um, and he deceives people. Okay, go to this next one. Um, and I will just kind of end here. He which testifies these things saith, surely I come quickly, Amen, which is another way to say true, or I agree, or thus saith. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So he's wrapping it all up. The final revelation from God to man through John the Apostle. And through this, Jesus gives him these words. And he says, I come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So, In conclusion, do you know if Jesus came back today or tomorrow that you'd spend eternity with God in his presence? In other words, have you been born again? Have you received the free gift of eternal life? Final forever forgiveness, final forever full of the life of Jesus because what makes you a Christian is Christ in you, not what you do, who you have. You are a Christian. Christian? You believe Jesus is coming back soon. I struggle with this because I could teach it and preach it academically, theologically, but I have to check myself too because sometimes I get distracted by the cares of life. There's a lot of them coming at me right now, so I don't think about this often. 
But you know when I do think about it? Psalm 8. When I consider the sun, the moon, and the stars, I look up to the heavens. When I consider it, when I just kind of like cares of this world are put aside, what is man that you're mindful? And then I think about God loves us. He has a promise. He's coming back soon. And he's coming for you because he loves you. And this last thought here, who is God putting on your heart right now to encourage? Where he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some. But uh, what is it? What does the verse say? I forget but exhort one another, and so much so, so as you see the day approaching. Exhort, encourage. So who is on your heart right now to exhort or to encourage? To come back to church? And we don't have to have like a, you know when you go to a foreign country and then you come to America, you got like first world guilt? Like, oh man, I have so much, they have so little. Um, you don't have to have Christian guilt or Christian shame, like, oh, you know, I'm going to heaven. They're not. You don't have to be silenced by guilt or shame. You, you have been given this free gift, and you're not any better than anyone. You've just received it by God's amazing grace. Others do not have that. Maybe, maybe we could think and pray about how to share that with others. Maybe there's Christians that have been uh, in your life or in the church, and they're, they're kind of got a little sidetracked, a little squirrely. Life has happened, and all, it could happen to any of us, by the way. I have to think if I wasn't a pastor, I would, you know, where would I be? You know, I have to be here kind of thing. Um, but some people are like, take it or leave it, and then just come on in whenever you want. Come on, Nevaeh, you're welcome. Yes, all are welcome. Um, but whoever God is putting on your heart, that's the Lord telling you, text message, note, phone call, email, door knock. I don't know who it is. I'm not trying to play like Jedi mind tricks with you. I'm just saying I know Jesus will put someone on your mind. And whoever that is, never deny the impulse to do a good thing if the Holy Spirit's led you to do it. Let's, let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for families that have come, our missionaries. Uh, I just pray for tonight and for our mission field here as well, uh, that you would do something in and through this wonderful body of believers. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.